absolutely ridiculous. Hello, welcome to Around the Course Squash podcast. Excuse me, as ever, it's Christopher Sackley and Stuart Crawford. It's been a hell of a weekend, lots of results. Man United bounced back from a terrible result in Turkey in the Champions League on Wednesday to beat Everton. What else have we got? The Vuelta. The Vuelta, Roglic got the win. There's something yeah, else, there was, a, there was a big result. Your man. Who? Your man. My man. Roglic. Roglic. But yeah, you're right, there was a big result came in on Saturday. Can't quite remember what. No. Something in America, <laughs> some, some little thing. i tell you what, though. I haven't hey. seen scenes like that since 1990 when Paddy Bonner made the save against Romania to send Ireland through to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. But people were bouncing around the street, beeping their horns, waving their flags. <laughs> well, LeBron, LeBron James chased down block for the Americans. <laughs> that meme that meme's really good. Joe Button blocking, blocking Trump as LeBron James. Yeah, he's a bit of Irish in Biden, by the way. There's a distant relative at the Carneys, and just so happens that Rob and Dave Carney played for Ireland in rugby. And there was a big thing in the Irish paper this morning. They somehow found a way to celebrate despite the lockdowns. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get too excited about that Irish connection because Trump's got a Scottish connection, and it certainly didn't get me excited. (laughs) That's Trump. No comment. (laughs) Moving on. Qatar, semis and finals. Fellas, what were you thinking? How was it? It was good. Interesting. Controversial. Yeah, a little bit. Um, we went from uh, four epic quarterfinals with all going to five games and all over an hour long to two pretty one-sided um, semi-finals on, on Friday. Um, both both matches three love. One of them, you would argue that one guy just played better than the other. The other one was a little bit more controversial as she as you said, Arthur, and as we'll probably get into in some detail, I think we've got slightly different views on that. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Take it away. Well, I would, I would rather go second and offer the counter-argument. Because I think, <laughs> oh, fair I think, enough. I think you boys have the, the more traditional uh, viewpoint. Uh, yeah, possibly. Maybe tradition with an evolved traditional viewpoint. It won't come as any surprise that we're talking about is Paul Cole and Ferez Suzuki. It was a cracking first game. Every bit as close as the scoreline suggested, followed by a double bagel. A double the old bagel. double bagel. Oh, you don't you don't get many of them in professional squash. So <laughs> well, to be not fair, that level. the minute you see double bagel at that level, you think, hmm, something's up here. Although, <laughs> of course, there um, was. Um, yeah, full full transparency. I didn't get a chance to see the match, so I kind of uh, I was reacting to some social. Like it, it blew up on social media immediately. So I got a bunch of my I got a bunch of my information from crooked social media um, squash stories, and then um, <laughs> and then I got and then I I did a little research after and did some digging and uh, yeah. So some of the not my personal opinions necessarily, but some of my, some of the things I read were, you know, that Dasuki should be fined for throwing the match and, um, you know, how, how much of an embarrassment it was and, and this and that. And I think that's where, that's where we're really going to get into it here, isn't it? Uh, you know, I think all three of us offline just said, we don't necessarily disagree that there should be some consequences for things like this. And people were 
citing tennis as as the reason why they they think squash could implement like a fine system but what do you boys think about that i think it's fair i I think you can act whatever i mean it's your choice to act however you want but if it's not in the nature of the sport then there 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 doesn't have to be consequences but you can't argue that there will be consequences yeah, I think the PSA rules have it pretty clearly covered that you have to give your best effort. Um, just for a little bit of background, I did watch the full match and I've actually watched the the second and third games twice now just to sort of see at what point is he kind of trying, what point is he completely not trying. So as Arthur said, the first game's really tight, good quality squash. Um, Paul sort of, it was 9 all, and then... Dasuki got a call that he wasn't particularly happy with and then he made an error on the final point of 10-9 game ball down. Um, not a particularly bad error in terms of like wasn't through a lack of effort, it was just went for it and clipped it in. Um, then at the start of the second game, again, start, start of the game was fine. Then he got a call that he didn't really agree with, which uh, it was a little bit on the harsh side and Suzuki's favour, so he hit a backhand volley, sort of straight drop, straight kill, that sort of jumped back and came back onto him and got a stroke against him for that. I mean, I guess if you if you're looking at it from his perspective, you could argue that maybe it was a let, but I think pretty consistently when you hit those volleys that catch the side wall and come back into the middle of the court, we're seeing them giving us strokes more and more now. So I didn't have any objection to that. Then he. He lost the next couple of points with a couple of errors, quite soft errors, you would say. Um, and then kind of got his head back into the game. At this point, we're now at, I think, four love. Um, but then it was the rally at five love that really turned that game. Um, so, Dasuki hit a really good straight kill on the forehand from midcourt. Paul sort of didn't read it, which is unusual for him. Took a step almost across, maybe even backwards, and the ball died quite short. And he was already elect at that point. Um, now, I didn't think it... Pro- on balance, I didn't think it was elect. But Dasuki seemed really annoyed with this, um, combined with the previous calls that he thought were going against him. And at that point, I think he, he lost the next rally and then just gave up in the rest of that game, it's fair to say. I mean, the last three or four points of that game, he literally made no effort whatsoever. Just flopped his balls into the tin... Yeah, not really doing any, yeah, not making any real effort to win the game or come back. Um, so he then goes off and he's sitting in his chair, um, looks a little bit sort of not particularly highly uh, motivated to stage a comeback, but he came back on in the start of the third. They had a really long rally. Um, I think it was about a minute and a half or maybe even pushing two minutes, um, which again, no sign that he wasn't up for it in that game, but then he lost that point. And then he gets another call, I believe, at the start of the third that goes against him. And then from that point on, his head just went down more and more. And everything just sort of ran away from him. And then it was weird. He wasn't completely not trying like he was at the end of the second, but he certainly wasn't giving his best effort. And then he, he actually got a little bit of an injury. And he made a funny movement in the middle of the court about seven love and then Derek Ryan PSA physio came on and gave him some treatment and he sort of played out the last three points and 
made no effort and it was it's a few layers to that isn't it yeah <laughs> she's very well described compadre very well described yeah i'm just testing my memory a little bit and i may have got some of the exact details of what happened at what exact point slightly off but um like i say i've watched it twice and i made some notes and yeah it wasn't like it was one call that made him stop or one point in the match where he just decided I've had enough but clearly he wasn't particularly happy it's, it's a pressure cooker right it's bubbling and it's not necessarily just one thing it's just this like almost perfect storm of like bad decision he's one love down after a really close game giving it everything he did Paul's a nightmare to play against like if you're a little bit off and you're trying to kind of get your way back in like he smells blood a mile away your head can go you try to get back into it just leaving yourself a mountain to climb, I think it's probably the most demoralizing thing ever. It's not that you don't want it, and I think you just kind of in there it looked like he was just making making excuses for himself. Maybe that's probably a bit harsh, but not to not to try. Yeah, I don't think that's harsh at all, right? Like that's that's kind of sounds exactly like uh what happened. Um if I don't know, it, it's and from from the coach like from the coach's hat on us it's like you obviously would never you would never allow one of your own players to get away with that right to to blame the ref as an excuse for just totally bagging a match because i think you know the in coach speak it's controllables versus uncontrollables like you're not going to yeah. control the ref so that's also like an emotional kind of judgment. It's like day one stuff, though, right? Like from that. But obviously at this level, there's a lot more in play. I just think it's not his first rodeo. He's been on the tour. He's been successful. It's tough to see that from a guy who's been around this long and had this much success. Um, I think if it happened, if it's a, you know, I think we were fairly critical against a Saul when – for some of the stuff, he some of his antics on court very different than this. Um, trying too hard, you might say, putting putting the result like putting the result as as the the end all be all. Um, but this, yeah, this is kind of the opposite, right? Now, one of the things that was quite ironic actually was after he won his quarterfinal against Yusuf Ibrahim, and he was obviously a five game match, like all the quarterfinals. And in his post-match interview, he actually referenced the fact that he's been viewed as mentally weak sometimes and people sort of give him a hard time um, and how pleased that he was to come through a big five-setter and make a semi-final for the first time in a while. Um, and he hoped that he'd sort of shown his mental strength, he said. Um, and then <laughs> less than 24 hours later, he goes and does that. Um, he also referenced in relation to his mental strength or perceived weakness some of the injuries but this this did not appear to be an injury like I say he did pick up a slight niggle towards the end but he was already seven love maybe even eight love down in the third game by this point um, and just going back to you, what you touched on Arthur um, if there's anyone you want to sorry anyone you don't want to play when you can't really be bothered and you're not 100% up for it it would have to be Paul I mean he gives you absolutely nothing we've talked about that quite a few times but I think you see really clear evidence in this sort of match that as soon as he drops off then you're just you're not even winning the point against someone 
Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty pretty impressive, right? Because it's not like I think it's not like these guys are playing at super high margins. Like for Paul to just close the match off without an error um, at that level when you can't you can't push the ball around and expect to get away with it, right? Like um, it's pretty impressive. And it's it's easy to lose focus when when someone's uh, when someone's uh, you know either looking like they might be playing possum a little bit or or when they're actually just kind of out of it. It's hard for you to stay focused when someone else totally is uninterested. I find. I mean, there's a million ways we could look at this and break it down. There's one thing that stands out for me that I kind of re- it makes me really admire Paul like even more. Like I think he's obviously an amazing player, but just if you if you think about it in the broader scheme of things, he never ever looks vulnerable mentally. Regardless of how he's playing and regardless of how the match is going, swinging in his favour or not. And then you look at Ferez. And look, we want to see contrast. We don't want to see like all the top ten or the top fifty players in the world show no vulnerabilities or weaknesses. Like there's an element where we like that. I think part of it what's so hard to watch is because he's been successful, because he's been a top player for the last six or eight years, maybe more, you expect more. It's okay to show the vulnerability. When, when you're watching it, you're like, come on, see if you can snap out of this. Show us that, you know, you can overcome, you know, this obstacle that's in your way mentally. And it's not about winning at that point. It's like showing your character. And especially Stuart referenced his post-match interview after his quarterfinal match and that he's working on it or whatever. And that's, that's great. It sort of shows that he's obviously fully aware of it and he feels he gets a hard time for it. But you're going to continue to get a hard time for it if you just if you show that vulnerability and don't show a willingness, at least in that given moment, to take to snap out of it and to give it a go to, for for the rest of the game. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Like you can behave how you want, but just understand that you know you have this reputation because yeah. But he, he sort of seemed to be suggesting that the reputation that he had was unfair, um, which, like we said. It's, it was a little bit ironic given what he did 24 hours later. The one, the one issue out. I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities here with uh, Nick Kyrgios in tennis, who's had a lot of criticism for some of his performances and behaviours, and everyone talking about how much he's wasting his talent and he could achieve so much more. And he's a disgrace. I've seen the, the phrase "you're a disgrace to the sport." Um, <laughs> it is a little bit, yeah, and. Um, and what he does, does not regularly, but occasionally, is somewhat similar to what Fares has done. My counterpoint is that no professional athlete has any obligation to try. Like this idea that you have to try your best at all times, I don't know where that comes from. Um, if you apply it to other people in their uh, professional life, I'm sure there's people in offices all over the world that go in and they just cannot be bothered that day. And they're like, geez, I'm just going to open my laptop, pretend that I'm doing something, but really I'm just going to check Facebook for hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got Scorch TV on on the side and a little hidden window that I close anytime my boss comes. Like, We can't all perform at our best. Now, I understand that professional sport is slightly different and should be treated differently, but... To me, if he feels like doing that, then I don't see what the problem is. Um, obviously, he's not going to make too many more semi-finals if he plays like that, or if he uh, goes on court with that attitude. 
And I do agree that there should be consequences and PSA are well within their right to fine them or apply whatever sanctions they, they deem to be acceptable um, because it isn't great for the sport. But I just don't like this argument that you have some sort of responsibility to other people to give your best. The only person you should have a responsibility to is yourself. Now, if, you, if he's fine with throwing away a uh, World Tour semi-final at that level, then I personally don't see what the problem is. Now, that might be slightly controversial. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that disagree. I think Namely, every some... player outside the top 50 who is chomping at the bit just to get a competitive game of squash in. Yeah, I understand that. But I felt this way when I was playing. It's like, if I want to try, that's up to me. It's not up to you. It's, it's totally your prerogative. You're right. There's almost certainly going to be some consequence for your actions. Yeah, no, and even if it's just the the perception and and the the murmurs of squash fans saying that you're mentally weak, which which he he clearly said because he doesn't like people saying that about him. And now, what do you expect, right? If if you want to if you want to get rid of that label, um, and then you do this, it's going to be hard to get rid of that label. Um, so, and that that enough is probably um or that alone sorry is probably enough for most people to never put a performance in like that right because with the office worker example there's no top 10 office worker in the world <laughs> that's going to act like that Stuart. come on yeah you know let's get top 10 top you show top me 20. the world office worker <laughs> rankings and then i'll agree with you it, hey i'm working and i'm working good. from home right now i gotta be up there and there's no <laughs> office workers tv <laughs> Oh, look at these guys. Look at these guys behind a laptop. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, he's, he's looking at Facebook for the fifth time today. Oh, he's just in a pirouette in his chair. <laughs> well, I'm going to come back at you with a slightly more relevant example that supports my point. So, I mean, I guess the reason he stops trying at a certain point is because he no longer believes he can win the match. Now, Arthur and I know fine well how many times uh, a European or a World Team Championships the teams go up against, whether it's in Egypt to the World Championships or Europeans, England or France, and they drop their best player. And why do they do that? Because realistically, they don't believe they can win that match. So they would rather sort of pick their battles and save their team for a more realistic challenge. There's, whoa, there's, there's another part of that. It's like, I know what we'll do, guys. Right? <laughs> I know it's a 250 to 1 chance. We're going to drop our best player because I believe that gives us the best chance because now that lures them into a false sense of security. <laughs> Thinking that we don't care, but actually we do. <laughs> and we got Stevie Richardson oh, waiting, yeah. in the, waiting in the wings. <laughs> <laughs> you see that gray beard? That's where he draws his strength from. <laughs> you don't know it yet, but you're going to find out pretty quick. <laughs> Shout out, Stevie. But you do. You, you see it every year at certainly at the Europeans and also at the Worlds, where let's take an example of a team like Germany who have a clear number one player in Simon Rosner, like world-class and quite often won't play the most important pool match or the semi-final because they've already decided that their goal is to try and get the bronze medal because they don't believe they have the, the depth to win the, uh, the gold or silver by beating England or France. Um, and again, that to me is just, they're weighing up what's, what's the value, what's the likelihood of winning this contest and then deciding 
actually it's not worth giving 100% here because it might hamper our chances to perform at our best tomorrow. Counter, but, counter, yeah, counter, counter a, argument. I'm on Chris's there, side already. There, well, there is, there is no tomorrow no, right? I get, in, in an individual tournament. <laughs> but, but the point I'm making is that he's obviously at some point in the yeah. match decided that either the world is against him or the referee's against him or I'm not playing well enough today. Um, if you enter a, a race and your goal is to win that race and say it's a, a marathon and at mile 20, you're three miles behind the guy in the lead, are you really going to kill yourself for the final six miles or are you just going to jog it in? I never started running. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I would jog it in. All right. Here's, here's a different take on it. He's your pair. <laughs> How do you help him bounce back? Well, I think one of the th first things he has to do is accept that there's an issue there. Like I say, I have defended him a little bit, but overall, if I was his coach, I would not be happy with that sort of... Uh, I don't think it reflects well on him. I don't think it reflects well on his team. Yeah. Um, and I think the first step is that he has to acknowledge that he is mentally weak. I mean, his his interview after his quarterfinal suggested that, well, I've been getting a hard time and it was unjustified and I don't really see what the problem is here. Um, so I think the first step is making him realise, look, this is something that is, is an issue. I understand as your coach that there might be reasons behind it and I'm here to support you, but let's at least see if we can do something to improve it. That would be my approach. Yeah, yeah. and to, I guess in in his defense, um, he has not he has not gotten to a major semi in a while, and he had a pretty tough road to get there. And you know, you guys know better than I do the physical and mental toll it takes to get deep in a tournament like this. But he probably was pretty run down i would imagine he's not you know paul's paul's been kind of he's been pretty a model of consistent consistency kind of consistently getting deeper and deeper into these tournaments he's used to this now um in addition to i think really spending a lot of time on on the mental side of the game ferris not quite used to this i mean he at one point he was he seemed to be a contender and knocking on the door but he hasn't really been here in a while has he no, I, um, CFAX Crawford might be able to f find that for us. But I think, I think, yeah, I think all those things are good points. I think there's a, an element where he'd have to be open and honest with himself. And, you know, you can maybe take note and sort of start to, like, understand a little bit more what gets you into that place and can you recognize, you know, if you're headed that way, develop some strategies to kind of stop you and to turn yourself around and still somehow find and manage to get away to still extract the most out of yourself, regardless of how you feel, whether you're goosed or fresh as a daisy mentally and physically. And I guess it's tough being, in, I don't know what it's like to be in a bubble on my own in the rooms in Qatar. It's not, it's not everyone's uh, cup of tea. Yeah. I've got an answer for you there, Chris. It was his first sort of major semi-final since Elguna last year. Um, so about 18 months. Um, okay. Yeah. I was just giving him a little benefit of the doubt. Didn't want to beat on him all day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, should we move on and talk about the other semi-final, which, um, again, was still fairly one-sided, but probably more evenly contested, I would say. Um, Farah taking out Tarek Momin, 11-9, 11-2, 11-4. And, and interesting that the matches 
same total time. Yeah. Which just shows, I think just shows how well Allie's playing at the moment. Yeah. Well, there was certainly evidence of that in the final. Um, in fact, probably the last two events that's in one, um, both the Egyptian open and Qatar classic. So he's, he's sort of proved that he deserves that world number one ranking that there was maybe some question marks over when he took it off. Um, Mohamed El Shabagi, even though Shabagi hadn't played in Egypt. So I think he'll be pretty happy with um, justifying that position at the top of the rankings. Are you willing to post that comment on squash stories and see what you hear? <laughs> <laughs> There's a, the amount, the amount of Ali Farag just uh, bashing on there is is ridiculous unbelievable how did he get such a hard time there's talks about how bad his technique is i'm like far out yeah yeah exactly mind blown um I'll, I'll bash him for being a harvard alum but i can't think of anything else about ali that i don't like yeah, oh, a guy's, guy's a legend like unbelievable player really obviously he's very not obviously very fair but just a great role model for the sport. Jeez. Yeah. And so consistent as well. I think, I mean, I think we know that he's consistent, but if you look at his record, it really is pretty remarkable. We're talking about, um, the Suki's made, well, that was his first semi-final of a platinum event for 18 months. If you look at Farag's record, he hasn't failed to make the quarter, uh, sorry, the semi-finals of a platinum event since, might need a bit of time, but <laughs> it's over two years from what I can tell. That says, and, that says it all. And, and so I, I also want to discuss this while we're on the topic of, you know, uh, some of the Facebook slander. Um, you know, so people are saying Ali Farag is getting all the calls because he's a board member. And I have my own little take on this. And one, I, I don't know, you know, everyone – it's a scientific fact. If you go into something looking for a specific result, you're always going to come out with that like result. And the, you know, there's people looking for Ali Frog to get calls and they come out saying he always gets calls. But um, one, I do think he plays the game in the right spirit, like 99% of the time. And I think referees naturally, even if un, like, even if kind of subconsciously, they're gonna they're gonna punish people who they know aren't playing it in the right spirit and they know are doing things and, and these guys are also studying tape tape and watching players and trying to like you know um, get everyone to play in a better way so I actually am on the side where I think Farag deserves to be called not not favorably but very fairly because I think plays the game that way um, what do you guys say about that? Yeah, I certainly agree that he's yeah. a very fair player. Um, I remember going back maybe four years ago when they had the tournament at the Egypt, uh, in front of the pyramids originally. There was a match between him and Shabagi that was a little bit controversial when he was accused of taking double, double bounces. I remember. Um, yeah, but that's probably the only match where I can can remember some sort of controversy involving him. Um, and I thought the ma- the final in particular, I mean, Paul and Ali are both very fair players, but it was played in such a good spirit. 
um, really clean, both trying to play everything. And yeah, there was a lot of mutual respect there as well, you can see. There was. I do like a little bit of needle every now and again, though. <laughs> I know that's that can be controversial, but I just I, like I obviously appreciate and admire the respect that they have for each other. I just wonder if you know, throw a little needle in there, it might just well, it's not going to liven it up because it's already pretty lively through the squash. Maybe it's just a silly thing to say. That's what I love about watching Marwan play sometimes, where he's just you know he's got that when he gets that bit between the teeth, he's. Yep, I I agree. I think I, I think we we've, we've just discussed it before that you sometimes are gonna maybe come out on the wrong side of some calls when you're when you're playing that way, right? Which I think yeah. you gotta you gotta know. Um, yeah, but overall, I thought quality of the final was was awesome. Um, two two probably two of the better retrievers in the game, and and then also just two interesting contrasts in the in their you know the way they uh the way they build rallies and their tactics um pretty fun little back and forth watching them watching them both try and try and build pressure and get out of pressure yeah class players yeah one thing i thought made quite a big difference in the final was in the third game the ball really went hit and sort of changed the i thought paul had some really good momentum played some great squash in the the second game sort of got in front of Ali, which he didn't really do that well in this first game. Um, was really finding his targets in the back, uh, and actually got quite a few errors out of Ali, which is unusual. But then at the start of that third game, the ball was just like a stone. I think uh, again, Joey and PJ picked it up pretty quickly, and it was really noticeable, more so than any other match I watched last week, just how dead the court became. It was, yeah, I think, I can't remember if it was 10-9 to Ali or, or if it was 9-all in the third. I'd say he's reliving that rally in his head a lot because he had Ali all up. Some of the pickups Ali did, it was unbelievable. But there's one shot in my head that I can still picture so vividly where, you know, he had a, a really clear opening, a great opening that he created in the front forehand corner and he goes in to play the drop, just missed the naked, popped out. Ali got enough racket on the ball to sort of return the, not return the favour with a drop shot, but just, get the ball back and play and almost neutralise the rally. And you end up losing that point and you, you just think, oh, that was that was a good chance. It just would have been interesting to see if Paul could have been able to go 2-1 up. How would the fourth game have shaped? I would have loved to have seen that question posed to Ali. Um, part of me is the purist, just, just wants to see you know, how Ali's going to respond to that. Uh, almost like a new challenge where he might have felt hard done by going 2-1 down. It wasn't to be. Ali was too, just too good at the very end, and that's what Paul said in his in his uh, I think takeaway speech was just, all you know credit to Ali he played the the end of every game really well, and that does seem to be like when we talk about consistency in every sport, right? It's not like uh, it's not like the tennis greats never get tested either, but they just always seem to be able to dig in in those tie breaks and, and, and find ways to win the close sets and ultimately the matches. So yeah, shows he's, shows he's got it all. I just want to bring up a quick stat that I've just been calculating as we've been speaking, but we're talking about his consistency and his record of uh, making finals and semis. So he's in the last three years since the Qatar classic of, 
um, three years ago, 2017. He's played 20 platinum events, um, and he's that includes the World Championships. He's made the final of 14 out of those 20 events. He's won seven, seven finals. He's only once failed to make the semis in 20 of those events with the best players in the world involved, which is pretty remarkable. Um, wow. <laughs> take a bow, so. yeah must have bad technique huh <laughs> yeah, what a hack oh, far out. interestingly he's, he's actually failed to make the semis of quite a few events but not those big major platinum events so for example um, back to the start of the resumption in Manchester he only made the quarters because he lost to Marwan but that wasn't a platinum event and there was a grasshopper cup in there where he lost in the quarters um, but those big uh, top-tier platinum events, his record is pretty astonishing. Reminds me of what you told me about my running, Stuart. If it's not five miles, it doesn't count. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't think I've ever gone on a run then. Oh, <laughs> Allie, it's not, a, it's not a platinum, and it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is that level of consistency that really sets him apart, along with uh, Mohammed El Shabagi, but you look at a Gawad or a Tarek, and they're they're right in the mix, and you feel like they're a major threat at all these events. But I guarantee you wouldn't find that same level of consistency if you looked at their record, and that's probably the, the only real difference. One hundred percent. We have more more squish in the future with uh, black ball men and women confirmed this week. That was exciting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, happy days. Thought we were done for the year. And Getting sad. No, no, no British Open this side of 2021 then? No, it looks like that's. I saw some talk of that potentially being in January, but I don't know. That was maybe three or four weeks ago, so I don't know if that's changed. Okay. Um, the one interesting thing on black, black Ball was that originally it was on their provisional calendar right at the start, but it was a men's event only because I believe the Women's World Team Championships was supposed to be held in Malaysia around that time. Now, it's officially been cancelled, so it's great that um, Black Ball... I think Black Ball has actually dropped the size of the men's event from a um, from a platinum event, like we just saw at the Qatar Classic. So I think it's now just a $100,000 tournament, which is below the platinum level. It's Ali Farag out in the quarterfinals, so... Yeah, you heard it here first. Farag's <laughs> going down. There's no way he's making the final of that. Um, but yeah, um, they've obviously added a women's event and made it e- e- equal prize money for both. Um, and also the fact that they're not being held at the same time. They're having them back-to-back, um, I think, six days for each event. But the women's event for six days, and then as soon as that finishes, the next day the men's event starts, which again is... Not something we've seen that I can remember for any of these events. It's a nice little two weeks festival. So yeah, yeah. hundred k each and uh, thirty two draws for both, I believe. So yeah, happy days. Keep it busy in December at least. Give us something yeah. to one hundred percent. Hey, any chance we're going to see a vaccine anytime soon? Yeah, today Pfizer. Really? Did you see the announcement? I did not. 
In other news, the stock market went screaming after Sleepy Joe and uh, Sleepy Joe won and then the Pfizer. Yeah, Pfizer, 90%, um, I said 90% success rate with their, their latest clinical trials. So 90% of people were uh, like it, it worked on them. They weren't, they didn't get infected. It sounds a little bit like Black Panther aftershave. 50% <laughs> of the time, it works every time. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So that was, yeah, that was big, big news this morning, Arthur. You, hear, you heard it here first. Breaking news. Breaking news. That's the only reason people are listening to this podcast, right? To get the... Yeah the latest updates on the vaccine that's what political political uh commentary and uh covid covid analysis 100 percent. jeez there you go that's our that's our that's our bread and butter we're just (laughs) just a bunch of hack squash squash enthusiasts all right happy days guys well that's episode 37 if you like what you hear share with your friends check us out on social on social media on facebook instagram and twitter and uh yeah we're closing in on 100 followers on twitter so let's get there we, we gotta be doing something right do we go do, do i do a prize for, for number 100 no because then people are deliberately going to wait off okay yeah well how about we do a prize for 200 we'll, we'll give everyone a, a surprise episode so, yep there we go <laughs> all right good stuff cheers fellas cheers cheers, cheers.